Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Here we go again on another amazing trip through God's Word. And today's subject at hand is going to be grace and mercy. Since you can't talk about one without talking about the other, we're going to handle them both together. And we're going to go through the Bible and look at where we see mercy and grace take place. So we'll start off in the beginning in Genesis. God created man and woman in the garden and in the beginning they were created God said he looked at all of his creation and said it was good and he walked with man in the garden so we know that walking with God is going to be representative of something to come so the first thing we have is of course man sins and falls and is kicked out of the garden of Eden no longer able to walk in the presence of God. And after they leave the garden, this is where we're going to pick up in the Bible, Adam and Eve have sons, and we see that their sons have a meeting with God. And we're going to read about it here. We're going to pick up in chapter 4, where Adam and Eve have sons, Cain first, and then their son Abel, And at the end of verse 2, it says, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, and Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Also, Abel brought a gift, the best, the firstborn lamb from his flocks. The Lord accepted Abel and his gifts, but he did not accept Cain and his gifts. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord said to Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, because sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So God's showing them here as an example to the first group, the first family on earth. And And he shows them... He says, what you're doing is not good, Cain. But he said, what Abel did was good. And what did Abel do? Abel offered the blood of a lamb as as an atonement for the sin and the fall of his father. So God was pleased with it here. And we're going to see as time comes that God is pleased throughout the Bible with blood offerings as a shadow of what was to come in the New Testament. So that is where we see not quite mercy, but God accepting 
somebody's sacrifice for their sin and allowing them a little bit of mercy here on earth. The next thing that we're going to come to is Noah in chapter 6. And of course, Enoch was Noah's grandfather, which it talks about in chapter 5. And Enoch was a righteous man and went to walk with the Lord. So we hear about righteousness here. And then he is given mercy and grace and allowed to leave this world and go to be with God again, which is what Adam was not able to have no more because of his sin. So the next person that we're going to see here that obtains mercy and grace is going to be on earth. And we're going to pick up in chapter 6. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and all the creeping things and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. So it says that Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at that time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. So we know that Noah found grace and grace gave him the ability to be righteous and walk with God. So we're going to start seeing this pattern where grace is the ability for us to be in God's presence. That is what Adam had originally and that's what he fell from and this is what mankind has been fighting to get back to ever since that fall. So we're going to flip forward to another great man of God here. Abraham is the next man of God that we're going to come to in the Bible. And Abraham is visited by God and God tells him to leave his people and go to the promised land that God was going to send him to go. And of course, by faith, Abraham follows and he is given a covenant with God to be his people. And God promises him that if he abides by these laws, that we will be his people and he will make his descendants like as numerous as the stars in the heaven or as numerous as the sand on a seashore. And of course, Abraham enters into this covenant with God. And we're going to really dig into that deeper when we get later in the uh, Bible study. But we also know that Abraham had sons, Isaac and Jacob, and they are continuing in this covenant that God had set up with his people. On, and this whole covenant is based on receiving atonement for your sins and receiving grace and mercy. So we're looking for grace and mercy in this new covenant, but God's telling him like, it will come as long as you continue in my ways. Then we come to Moses is the next important character that we're going to focus on. And like I said, we're going to dabble. We're going to get back into Abraham. So don't think I'm leaving anything out, but we're going to keep going in this order here. Starting in Exodus 33 in verse 12, Moses is raised up and he is called by God to lead the people of Israel back into the promised land the land that he had promised to Abraham and we're going to pick it up here because Moses is already leading the people but he's 
coming to God here asking for more grace. And we're going to see what grace is in this verse. One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I will, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. So here we go. God's talking about, I have found grace in your sight, it says in the King James. So he says that thou hast also found grace in my sight. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And here in verse 12 of chapter 33, it says that Moses found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I just like to point that out because later in the Bible, we read that the church is the apple of God's eyes. So that's where we find all of our grace. It is true that you look favorably on me. Let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Again, your grace, that I may know thee and that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Now, we're going to have to talk about rest here because in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, he rested on the seventh day and he called that day holy. It was the Sabbath day and God is, it's one of the Ten Commandments and there's a high emphasis on the Sabbath day, the day that we rest. So here God's telling Moses that you're going to find rest, that the Sabbath is coming. If you were in the Abraham covenant, and you were caught picking a stick up off the ground on the Sabbath day. You were murdered. And God literally commanded that these people be put to death when, they were, when it was brought to God. Because he wanted us to understand how important the Sabbath day is and the rest that we find in God. He wanted us to, to make a big emphasis on resting in God, Jesus. <laughs> and he said unto him, if thy, if, my, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not hence. So Abraham's saying, if you won't go with me, I'm not going. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in your sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now I'm going to read it in the King James just so we can hear it a little bit clearer. But Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you won't go with us? For your presence among us sets, a, sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you. So again, thou hast found grace in my sight, it says in the King James, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Wow. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. 
For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So again here, God's saying by, by being in his presence and receiving mercy, grace and mercy are going to be linked together. He says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He's asking for grace and God's saying mercy and grace are going to walk hand in hand. But you may not look directly on my face for no one can see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with the hand, with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So Moses is like, can I receive grace, God? And he's like, yes, I'll give you grace and I'll give you mercy and I'm going to let you see me, but you can't see all of me because mankind is so corrupt that it would kill you. So I'll give you this measure of faith. Then the Lord told Moses, Chasten out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words I wrote on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me at the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. So God had already given him the Ten Commandments. Now he's going to give him the Ten Commandments again. It's amazing that when God gives you mercy and grace, he gives you the law. It's the same in the New Testament. When you believe in Christ and you're baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, you receive mercy and grace. And then the Holy Ghost gives you direction. And that is the new type of law in the New Testament. Following after the Spirit. That's what we do. We walk with God. We walk in the Spirit. Do not even the flocks and birds gaze near the mountains. So don't even let the birds and flocks come near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. And the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations and forgive you iniquities, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parent upon the children and the grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately threw himself on the ground and worshipped, and he said, O oh Lord, it is true that I have found grace. I'm going to say grace every time it says favor with you. <laughs> and please travel with us. See, this is the stubborn and rebellious people. So he's saying, God, let your spirit walk with us. Please forgive our iniquities and our sins. Claim us as your own special people. So give us grace and mercy. And the Lord replied, Listen, I am making a covenant with you. In the presence of all your people, I will perform miracles like I have never performed anywhere on the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevitites, and, and Jebusites. 
Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. That's how much God loves you. He is jealous of his relationship with you. He loves his people. That's why he calls us. That's why he's given us a covenant. And that's why he forgives our sins and offers us mercy and grace. Now, we're going we're gonna to go back a little bit here. I told you we were going to. And we're going to read a little bit about his father's faith, Abraham. Because Moses was given the law, but Abraham was given the covenant. And we're going to read a little bit about the correlation between that covenant and Christ, the new covenant. Because mercy and grace were given from God, but it was through Christ now that mercy and grace is obtainable for anyone on earth. They followed the law and they and they abided by the law, but the law simply rolled up their sins, pointing to a time when a Messiah would come and wash away all the sins. That's why the Jews continually had to make these sacrifices every year. And we're gonna we're gonna break it all down here when we when we read, but we're gonna start in Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had nothing, or he'd have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God, and God counted it as righteousness because of his faith. So, righteousness comes by faith. This is the other thing. If we're going to talk about grace and mercy, and I know I just did a whole Bible study on faith, so you we can you can go back and listen to it. And it deals a lot with grace and mercy because they, these always walk together. But faith is how we achieve mercy and grace. Abraham received mercy and grace when he believed. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people are are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke about this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those who are whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now. Is this blessing only for the Jews? Isn't it also for the uncircumcised Gentile? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because he believed because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith and have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they had the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise... God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants has been based 
not on his obedience to God's law, but on his right relationship with God that comes by faith. By his, so it might not be by his grace, but by his faith. If God's promised only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless, for the law already brings punishment to those who try to obey it. And only, the only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. So the promise of God's grace is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God, who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he was about 100 years old. He figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew even stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. So there we see righteousness. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He has handed over he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. I'm just going to keep on reading in Romans here because he has a lot to say about grace and faith here. So continuing in chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength and character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. I hope today, whoever's listening to this, I hope you really understand how much God loves us. Like all of this is a gift because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly hopeless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an, up, an upright person. Although someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, so there's where we get our mercy, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God has restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. When Adam sinned, he, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet the law to break. Still, everyone died. For the, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an, ex, an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's glorious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Even though we're guilty of sins. That's powerful. For the sin of this one man, Adam, cursed death to rule over cause death to rule over many but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man Jesus Christ wow to triumph to live over sin and death yes Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone but Christ's one act of righteousness brings the right relationship with God grace and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that many people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's so powerful. And you have to immediately continue into chapter 6 because it doesn't stop there. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of our wonderful grace? Now that's that's why you, got, you can't even stop between 5 and 6 because once you see how amazing God's grace is, some people do get confused and think that that means that they shouldn't even worry about how much they sin, that they should just go on living. And in a way, we should be fully focused on walking in the Spirit and pleasing God. And it's impossible to do both. So we've got to continue reading here into chapter 6. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful slave selves were, our old slaves, they were slaves. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So there we go. Sin loses its power when we're crucified with Christ. Before, we, it has a power over us, but it loses it when Christ was crucified. Continuing here, we are no longer slaves to sin, for we have died with Christ and we are set free from the power of sin. And since we have died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power over sin. But now that he lives, he lives to the glory of God, just like our lives. We repent, we die to sin, we accept God, we get baptized, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, and we're dead to sin, now we live to please God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. So you see that? We no longer are forced to sin, and we are powerless over sin. Now we have the power over sin. But it says, do not give in to it. So it's not that sin can overpower a Christian. It can't. But a Christian can be dumb and give in to those desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. So don't go back to serving sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. And that's the key. If you don't want to sin, you have to do stuff for God. Like get involved in God's kingdom. Get in a church. Get plugged in. Idle hands are Satan's playground. Read your Bible, pray, speak in tongues, do what you can to strengthen yourself and stay busy in God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So the grace is what empowers us to do everything he's been talking about here. Grace is what empowers us to live sin-free lives. Well then, since God's grace has set you free from the law, does that mean that you can go on sinning? Of course not. Didn't you realize that what you when you became <laughs> didn't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which le leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves to sin, but now you are wholeheartedly obeying the teachings that we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves become slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led over into deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness, living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. 
but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, I really love those passages from the book of Romans there. And we might come back to visit Romans again, but right now we're going to continue on to another couple of passages that are some of my favorites. I'm going to read a little in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires of our inclinations of our, un of our own sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that ye have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he had planned long ago. And now he's going to start talking to us a little bit here. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews <laughs> who were who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among, along the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God made with them. You lived in the world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace unto us. He, re he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ re reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near to him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers 
or and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. Wow, that's so powerful. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So again, it's walking in the spirit of God. And we're going to continue in chapter 3. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me a special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. So as preachers of Christ, we can extend grace to other believers. we got to remember that. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into the plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Wow, that is what every believer should long for. Though I am the least deserving of all people, of all God's people, he generously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I, I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose was in this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence so we don't lose heart because of my many trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious uh, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Pay attention to this next part here. Now all glory to God, who is able. That's so powerful. God is able through his mighty power to work within us. He works through us to accomplish 
infinitely more than we can ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that powerful? It says, "All now all glory to God who is able to work in more than we could ever imagine through us, through the believers, through us with the power. That's, that's all talking about the Holy Ghost. It, this whole walking with the Spirit, we have to be filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues in order if we're going to be able to walk in the Spirit. And God will be able to do more than we could ever imagine through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's amazing. That gets me going. That's powerful. So that's Ephesians 2 and 3. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was up was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He That was what the lamb was a representation of that Abel sacrificed in the beginning. He did this so that it was so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. So no longer follow so we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So it's important what we let our mind do. But the Holy Spirit, we can allow it to control our mind according to the scriptures here. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That is why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its decrees, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So you can choose to live by the flesh or you can choose to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, which will give you the grace to live sin free. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet we what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that we will that we he will reveal to us later for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when god will reveal who his children really are against its will all creation was subject to god's curse but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join god's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. So here we go. Once you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we start groaning. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a future foretaste of glory, or it's a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We are given this hope when we are saved. If we have already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we are looking forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. That's why it's important to pray in tongues. It knows what we need. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn born among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with him. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Wow, I love the Bible, guys. I know you do too if you're listening to this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? All it takes is faith and grace and mercy. If, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or hungry, or desolate, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, and we are being slaughtered like sheep. 
No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That is an amazing representation of God's love. Nothing can separate us. When we really fully understand how amazing grace is, that's why we, we, we hear the, the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Like when we really understand what grace really is, it's amazing. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. This is Paul writing again here, and he's talking about the thorn in his side. And he says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we see the power of grace that even when we have things in our life that we're going through that we don't want to go through, and we, it is the power of Christ that gives us strength in those weak moments. All right, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through the faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God, the Father of Christ Jesus the Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. So this was someone who was already saved, and he's telling this, God can increase these things in our life. That God will give us grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I can constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I was filled with joy when we were together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that was first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, in Numic, and I knew the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan and flames the spiritual gifts God has given you in late when I laid my hands on you. So we can fan the spiritual gifts that are inside of us. We can fan the flames of those gifts. We can grow. We can grow in the gifts inside of us. For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, 
be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because it was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the, the appearance of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and teacher of this good news. That this is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the, pa to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And now we're going to move forward here to Titus 2, which is going to tell us more about living wholesome lives for God. It is as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teachings. Teach the older men to exercise self-control and be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Do live wisely and be pure to work in their homes to do good and to be submissive to their husbands then they will not bring shame on the word of God in the same way encourage the young men to live wisely and you yourself you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind let everything you do reflect the the integrity and seriousness of your teachings Teach the truth so that your teachings can be, can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk behind their back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teachings about God our Savior attractive in every way. And that's talking about working. That's how we should treat our bosses. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We're instructed to do that. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to a wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave us life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them if necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. I'm going to continue into chapter 3, 
remind the believers to submit to the government and its officials. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, but we and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins. So here we, we see mercy washes away our sins and gave, gives us a new birth and new life through his Holy Spirit, which is grace. A new life and a new life with the Holy Spirit is grace. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us his confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarreling and fighting about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Wow. So it's important that we live godly lives through the power and the grace and mercy Christ has given us. I'm going to flip to 2 Peter. And I would like to point out that in 2 Peter, the beginning and the end of the chapter. The beginning of the chapter says, this, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith is given to you because of justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Now, if you flip real quick, because Peter's not a, not a very big book. So if you flip a couple of pages and look at the end of 2 Peter, he ends it also in, I, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. So the beginning and end of 2 Peter, he tells us to grow and more and more in grace and to grow in our knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Because the more we find out about Jesus, the more that grace amazes us and shows us the power we have as believers. So... Second Peter, I'm going to continue reading in verse 3 in chapter 1 because he tells us how to grow in our faith here as well. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
We have reconciled all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provisions of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now, you should pause it, rewind it, and listen to that list again because it's very important. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who fail to develop in this way are short and sighting or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away for God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ alrighty I hope that that has taught you something today about grace and mercy I've heard it explained like there are two sides to a coin and God has united both of them together with one sacrifice on the cross by wrapping himself in flesh and coming to earth and shedding his blood. He gave mercy and he also cracked the gateway between heaven and earth. And he poured out the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And that is grace, being in the presence of God. So if you've never experienced this today, I'm going to open it up for prayer right now. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here's an opportunity to say a prayer and have Jesus come into your life. And it will make a difference in everything from this point going forward. Mercy and grace are a free gift that God gives us. And after we receive that free gift, we're to walk in the Spirit, obeying the laws of Christ. Be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost, live a holy life. But it all starts with making that first commitment and accepting him into your heart. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. Jesus, we come before you, God, today. Our Father in heaven, our Son on earth wrapped in flesh, God, that paid the price for our sins, God. We worship and thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us, God, for giving us mercy and grace, God. We realize that we have sinned. And we all have fallen short of that standard, God, that you have set. And we ask you today, God, to let the blood of your son make the difference in our lives today, God. That you will give us mercy and wash away all of our sins, God. And that you will give us grace, God, to stand rightly before you and to continue 
following after the Spirit, Lord. That you will continue, Lord, to lead the people around us to be baptized in the name of Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, God. That your Holy Ghost fire will burn inside of them, cleansing them of all unrighteousness as we continue, Lord, to follow after your Holy Spirit, God. We worship you and praise you, God. We thank you so much, God, that you are the one true God, that there are no other gods like you. You alone are God, and no one stands beside you. We worship you today for being the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining in. God bless you all, and I love each and every one of you. In Jesus' name.